0: It's kind of a melee of those folks. Makes sense because those are the... I'm
1: laughing because you said melee.
0: <laughs> it's a melee. It's an attack of content. We're attacking an with attack content. An attack of content. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Sylvie. Also, there's a this lot a, of... This is good.
1: There's a lot of laughter on the show, so don't be afraid to laugh.
2: Okay.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a melee of laughter.
2: There's yeah, a, there, there we go.
1: <laughs>
0: it's a barrage. It's a full-on attack. It's uh The castle walls are coming down. Hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I'm joined as always by Sylvie Lobo. <laughs> Sylvie, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you? That was a different one. That was like Lobo, Lobo, Lobo,
0: Lobo. Yep. Um, on the show, on the show, talking about uh, <laughs> talking, uh, <laughs> t- talking uh, too loud. Um, so very excited today because we have. Tim Harold and Brian Harris from Lobster Productions. And Lobsterpot; those are the folks that helped us make Gear Squad versus Dr. Boring. Yes,
1: it's so exciting.
0: Yes, super excited to have them on the show. Gear Squad do- versus Dr. Boring, what an outrageous, amazing thing we've created here. This is our animated series that follows production equipment that comes to life at night um, when the employees of the company that they are at go home. Love and it. And evil Dr. Boring tries to stop them from making the content that they make fun and engaging. So it's uh right on the nose for us here at Wistia.
1: <laughs> I'm a big <laughs> fan. Cam is my fave. I remember when you guys were talking about this idea and I was like, huh, a B2B company is making an animation. How is that gonna go? Did you feel like you needed like to be convinced or were you game off the jump?
0: Um, this was I was game off the jump. This was this was not hard to convince me of. Um It's funny. It seems a little crazy to make an animated series with anthropomorphic production equipment. Um, But it's funny because for so long, we've gotten the same question, which is, I want to make videos. I want to make fun videos. I understand how making entertaining stuff that's on brand for my business will help me. But I can't convince the people around me or the industry I'm in. We're too boring. And... No one was going to respond well to us making this like crazy stuff. Now, of course, making the crazier stuff is what gets people to pay attention. And it's more interesting and it's more engaging. And so Dr. Boring is kind of like, you know, the character of the traditional business who's afraid to to take those risks. And the gear squad can be your people, can be you who are ready to tackle the big challenge. And so it was just actually really easy to do. So it's like, I know this is a universal issue. Um, and the fact that it is an animated series is ridiculous, but also (laughs) perfect, right? Like it gives us the freedom to do it, um, any way we want and do something really unique during COVID. All these reasons made it make sense. And we're going to get into how the show got made with Tim and Brian, but first, Sylvie, what's got you talking too loud?
1: Camping gear. I went camping last weekend for the first time. A little cold for camping. We
0: bit. You're talking about first time. What do you mean?
1: Yeah, like in a tent. Like I've never like your first time in a tent. Like I've been in a tent in a backyard before, but not <gasps> on a campground. Oh my gosh! I know. Wow! I know. So, so what was
0: this car camping? Did you? Yeah, hike it, it, it was car was there camping. Snow? Okay. No snow. No
1: okay. snow. Um, but I spent a lot of time looking at tents, and. It was kind of agonizing. I I get lost in the sauce when I have to make gear choices. (laughs) And um, I can't... You don't just go to
0: Wirecutter and just find what they have and just get it? I went
1: to Wirecutter. But even then, I was like, I want to go to REI and just crawl inside some tents and see... Is that what you did? No. It's what I should have done. Because I now have a wee bit of tent regret. And I'm not sure if it's because we didn't set it up completely correctly, or if it's because I should have gone with a different tent.
0: Okay. Well, if you were trying to sleep under a pile of fabric, <laughs> then you did not set up correctly. <laughs>
1: no. It, <laughs> the tent wasn't collapsed so it's like, on oh, me. here's
0: So you basically take the thing out of the bag, and you roll it out, and then, <laughs> and then you just...
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. But I, I, I think it could have been slightly more taut and uh, mm. better connected to the rain cover
0: so you had some rain issues yeah
1: there was some condensation do you have any tent wrecks
0: do i have a tent wreck wow i well i have been camping more than you but not by much <laughs> um no the last time i was looking at buying tents i saw that they have all these tents that are like light blocking did you have what do you get one of those i didn't
1: i saw the you light blockers about? i saw the light blockers that seems I wasn't, like
0: that's the new angle that's the new angle right now
1: I, but to me i was like why the f would you want to block the light i wanted that I wanted to wake up with the sun. That's what I wanted.
0: Yeah, so it depends on I think what time of year you're doing it. When it's <laughs> yeah, the, I guess when so. the middle of summer yeah. and the sun is rising at four forty-five.
1: Still, you then you want the
0: light blocking. Still,
1: then That's, I want well, to wake up natural. Yes, but you know what oh, I was okay. missing. I could have gone for uh-huh. a little cartoon in the morning.
0: I understand that. I understand everyone wants to wake up and have a little Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, you know today's episode. It's not just for Saturday mornings, for any time, Gear Squad. Yes. But uh, I feel like it's time to jump into this interview with Tim and Brian to hear a little bit more about how you create one of those great cartoons.
1: Love it. Let's go.
0: That you can't watch in your tent. Tent. Yes. Welcome to Talking Too Loud. So excited to have both you, Tim, and you, Brian, here today. Thank you. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, great to be here. We're super excited that you're here. Um, Obviously, we have an incredible project that we worked on together in in Gear Squad versus Dr. Boring. And of course, we're going to get into that. But first, this show is called Talking Too Loud. It is called Talking Too Loud because when I get excited, I cannot control the volume of my voice. Um, as you could tell, as we we're getting ready to record. <laughs> <And> so um, <laughs> we like to start the show by asking folks, what's got you talking too loud? What's got you really excited right now? And because we have two of you here today, I think we'll start with you, Tim, what's got you talking too loud today?
2: Ah, uh, I think just being back in the world a little bit more, I think, uh, you know, having a vaccine in me and being able to uh, venture safely or more safely into the world. Uh, in general, that's that's all I'm thinking about now is uh, finally getting to see friends and stuff after a year and a half of not, uh, so... That, that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I know the feeling. There's nothing like nanobots
0: coursing through your vans. Exactly, yeah. And now I'm magnetized too, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what about you, Brian? What has you talking to loud right now? Oh, uh,
3: These days, I've been pretty obsessed with pinball, like playing pinball and kind of messing around with like the inner workings of a pinball machine. Um, I live down the street from an arcade and I've been lucky enough to be there when the uh, guy who owns all the machines comes in to maintenance them, fix them up, whatever. And uh, over the past couple of months, I've kind of been learning, observing, reading about how these things work and just having like the experience to touch the inside of a pinball machine and then see that like there's something broken. We fix it, put it back together, and then get to play the game. There's something about that that's super fun. And uh, most recently, I've been going pretty hard on the Godzilla pinball machine and the Mandalorian.
0: <laughs> okay. So oh. it's been a
3: lot of fun and uh, taking up a lot of my uh, free time after hours.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. And who makes those machines?
3: So there's there's a bunch of different companies. Um, one of the bigger ones is Stern Pinball and Stern yes okay. they, they did
1: Stern yes, okay.
0: okay, yes, of course Stern Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: there's a bunch of them. Um, I'm from Wisconsin and there's actually a company there, I think they're called Spooky Pinball, and they came out um, with a Rick and Morty pinball machine, a Halloween pinball machine, and they're they're just super cool and to see the different companies and how they kind of approach them is um, is pretty fun.
0: Yeah, we used to have the Metallica pinball machine made by Stern. uh, Yeah, yeah, no big deal. uh, In the office for a while. No, you did not. You did? Yes, we did. Yeah, of course we did.
1: Oh, I like that. (laughs) I didn't know that. Um,
0: But it was funny because when we first got it, I was like, "Is this a thing people will play? Like, don't people want video games?" And like, it was the exact opposite. It was like so much passion and so much excitement. I didn't realize how good you could get at something. That has so much randomness built into it.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's kind
0: of amazing to watch, right? Like that you'd think that there's no way. At least I thought, looking at it, like this just ball is just like bouncing all the place. How are you going to be able to manipulate this? And there's like the soft landings on the paddles, and like you know the like when it whenever it would get tuned up, it would play differently than when it was like had been going for like a week. And so you have to adjust your game. It's kind of (laughs) wild, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of my first opportunities working in animation, I was a line producer on Mr. Pickles for Adult Swim. And they had a kind of like breakout room in the studio. And they had, um, what was it? The Twilight Zone pinball machine. That was like my entry into starting that little obsession with pinball. Because whenever we had breaks, the creators of the show, us like spending lunch, just playing this machine over and over. Cause when, you know, they own it, um, it's on free play. So it mm-hmm. was, you could just continuously play and you're not, you know, losing all your quarters. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I've been telling Brian for a while he needs to just buy a pinball machine because the amount of days he's like, I was at the arcade last night playing pinball. And I'm like, you probably spend like a quarter of your earnings each week on pinball. I've, I've started going with only ten
3: dollars in my pocket. And, yeah, uh, keep, my, keep, keep myself to because I mean, if you if you get good enough or lucky enough, you can you know get some free games. So that's what I try and bank on is put in a dollar and get four games out of it.
0: Nice. Yeah. Well, it's everything's good in moderation. I'm glad to hear that it's a, the $10 limit. That's that's <laughs> yeah. responsible of you. <laughs> let's pivot to the obvious. The reason we're all here today. Um, let's talk about Gear Squad versus Doctor Boring. And um, for those listening, you've heard me talk about this. But if you haven't heard Gear Squad versus Doctor Boring is this animated series that we just put out about production gear that comes to life um, at night. When the uh, tech workers have left the building and evil Dr. Boring, the arch nemesis, is constantly trying to stop them from making the videos that they're making more fun. And it turns out, Tim and Brian, who are here with us today, absolutely integral to making this series because they made it. <laughs> 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 and they're gonna, so that's always helpful. So thanks for being here, guys. Yeah. Um, and I want to start with, you know, we've been getting questions. How does a B2B company do this? Why, like, why is a B2B company, you know, making an animated series? And we talk about it from like strategically why we're doing it and from a content marketing perspective, why we're doing it. But from your perspective, what did this project look like to you? Like, here we come, Wistia, B2B video platform saying like, hey, we're going to make this series. Like, what were your first thoughts and and reactions to this?
2: <laughs> I mean, I think for at least the first month was a little in my own head, confused about it. I was like, <laughs> I was very game for it. Uh, you know, as a new animation company, our goal is to make narrative stuff and and uh, really cool, traditional 2D animated narrative shows. Uh, and so Wissia Studios came to me and uh, with this idea that I loved and. Uh, I felt like I hit the lottery as far as this project. And uh, I definitely, I remember explaining it to one of my friends early on and they're like, wait, what, who, who is the audience? Like, why are they doing this? Uh, But I think now that it's released, that same person was like, oh, I get it now. It's, uh, (laughs) it's awesome. And um, I think it's, it's very cool of your guys team to think so outside of the box, as far as a way to, market in this space. So, uh, I love this project and it's very excited to work
3: on it with you guys. I think for me, there was a, a moment where I was, I was trying to, you know, without Googling so much, what, what was is what business to business really is and reading, uh, one of the early pilot scripts, there was a moment where there was some dialogue and then it was just insert B2B joke here. That uh, the Westia Studios team had like put in temporarily because they're like, OK, this is a good opportunity for a joke. We're just not there yet. And I was like, what is the joke going to be? And um, like Tim said, the team at Westia Studios really <laughs> brought the A game and helped us understand and um, got with the writers on getting that content across and starting to understand it more. It's, it's pretty cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you feel like the B2B humor is funny to you now? Like as as you get like more entrenched in it, or are you still, does it
2: feel like alien? I, I find it funny. I, I think a lot of it's still relatable and I maybe it's because we're in uh, the media space, granted entertainment media, but one of my favorite jokes is uh, Cam is being talked to by Philip, a, a manipulative screwdriver who is trying <laughs> to convince uh, Cam that she's not listened to And she's like well we've got a daily stand-up uh which is i love that joke because i've been at many companies where we have a daily stand-up every morning and uh i don't know so so stuff like that i think still rings true to me i don't know how did you feel about it brian (laughs) i i was the
3: exact same way you know i think the the kind of inside baseball jokes have really rung for me as something just like content wise i really enjoy and um, seeing shows like this and like, like BoJack Horseman, where it's all just like inside jokes about the you know film industry, TV industry. Um, and so I thought, you know, a lot of that translated. And <laughs> there were a couple of things that I was like, not too sure about. But then kind of after talking to the team, it's like, oh, and, <laughs> and then seeing the
2: final version of it. It's it's hilarious. I still laugh every time when I watch yeah. some of these. I got. I got to say, I it took me a while to understand what a drip campaign was. Uh, that was a bit of a foreign concept. <laughs> <to me. laughs>
0: I read the first few scripts and then I watched the first episode. Like as you guys were sending roughs back, and then it got farther and farther along. So I saw like the completed first episode, and then I purposely did not want to watch the other ones because I wanted to experience it with everyone else. And watching it during that watch party was so ridiculous. And I was like crying. I was laughing so hard because so many of these jokes are just like it's it is so it's so hard to make a thing that's funny and on the nose, and like actually educational. Like if you are in B2B and try to figure out how to use video, like each episode can inspire you in a different way, which is really cool. Um, but it's just like not taking itself too seriously by having the inside baseball jokes. And I was just I was dying. Um And that's the reactions I've heard from other people too. Like, I can't believe you did this. And how did it actually end up so funny? Like this is, (laughs) it's it's not a thing you see every day in B2B. And we're particularly proud of how all of that came together. But walk us through, what is the typical creative process? Do you start with visuals? Do you start with scripts? Where do you start?
2: So I guess it's a little bit of both, depending where we as a company get in on a project. Like with this, uh, I believe Wistia had... A pilot script but it was about 30 pages and we needed to make it a roughly six or seven pages we we kind of <laughs> came in at that point where we at least got to read and see the characters um and then at that point we know sort of ballpark how many characters we have uh the creative behind them and and what to motivate the designs because you know understanding those themes of a A character can really help you define the look. Uh, So when we enter pre-production, we usually have like a script and then hit our design process, and that's a very back and forth thing. And then from there, we kind of work as a team. We love to show the writers a little bit of the designs as they're going on, even if they're not finished or very rough, just so it kind of fuels each other's creativity. Yeah, absolutely. Inspires back and forth. There's parts of Gear Squad. Where,
0: I mean, we take advantage of animation throughout the whole thing, but there's obviously some moments like the void <laughs> where the green screen, that moment when I saw, I was like, this is so incredible. It's like this, like the layers here are just so great. And, it, you know, you for those who haven't seen it yet, because I assume anyone who's listening, you're going to watch this thing. Um, there's like a, a really amazing moment with the green screen and using the green screen to end up into a void. And, you know, the world changes dramatically. And obviously in animation, the world can change dramatically. And when I was watching it at that moment, I was like, how did we get to this place? Like, how do we make the decision to break out of the existing world and the rules? Because you're working with a medium that can be anything, you know, it's like not like, oh, we shot the actor on the left side of and <laughs> actually let them on the right. Like, it feels kind of paralyzing almost that amount of choice. Yes, yes it does. <laughs>
2: Brad, do you want to Yeah, start? I think I
3: you know, I think that episode in particular came through um I think inspiration from the environment that we kind of built for the show because uh, one of the writers Chris, he comes from comic books and that world and then us being like total nerds for superheroes and stuff like that. We wanted to do an episode that we could essentially push the limits of what's going on in their world without actually needing to create like a a world outside the office. And so the idea of doing something within the office that takes them completely out of their space combined with comic book inspiration, you know, we kind of ran with it yeah. in the writing process. And then design-wise, Tim, you know, you guys kind of went crazy with uh <laughs> The void stuff and, and doing some <laughs> visual effects there and i think we didn't really know what it was going to look like so much when it was being written um but it definitely was one of those things where we're like okay this is the one where we're going to push the limits of our technology and our artists to really bring something fun
2: totally yeah and i think uh like brian said uh mysterio is the character i kept pushing that to the writers being like i really want it to be like this magical thing where the green screen can pop up anywhere, can change into anything. And like it, you know, a sequence where it's toying with them. So I, I know the, I think the writers came up with the original pitch for the episodes. Uh, I know Wistia studios loved the idea and gave some like more ideas to throw in the pot. And then, uh, you know, we worked closely with the writers and kind of came up with that. General scenario, but like Brian's saying, it is even on paper, there's so much you can do. And I think that's one of the cool things about animation is, like you said, it can be a bit paralyzing. Like we can approach the same scene from a million or even limitless uh, ways. But I think uh, a big thing we do as a company is uh, we love to collaborate. And I think filmmaking in general is a very collaborative experience. So I think. A lot of it being visualized was after the writers put something amazing in a script. Um, and, and a very cool thing about animation is we go from a script to just audio to very rough sketches, and then you're just really building on everything all through the process. So That's awesome. And, and, and what do you do when you get
0: stuck? And what, what advice would you give to anybody who is trying to do something creative, but
2: they feel stuck? I mean, I I especially lean on my team a lot in that. Like I said, we love to hire people that we respect for whatever job we hire them for. And so um, I love to sort of create an open forum if I'm wishy-washy on an idea and, and, and uh, try and get that going. So I also find a lot of inspiration from other stuff, uh, other mediums and whether it be TV, film, uh, comic books, whatnot. You know, great artists steal is what they say. <laughs> so it's like we, we like to sort of put a bunch of stuff that influenced us in a pot and make it something new. Um, so, so that's kind of what I like to do is, is watch a bunch of stuff, talk to our team, um, and hopefully there's a spark of inspiration out of that.
3: Yeah, I think something that's really important in that creative process, if you do find yourself hitting a wall is just keep going. Um, There's never a time where you should, you know, kind of sit on your ideas and go, oh, no, it's not really a good one. Just get it down on paper or whatever medium you're working in and and just keep pushing it out. And eventually something clicks. And, And I agree with Tim, like if I ever hit a wall on something, I'll start binge watching random TV shows that I like and see if there's something in there that inspires me to get back into it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it seems like you're both you're both talking about using inspiration to help guide like your process, right? And saying like, if I'm stuck, I need more inputs. I need other things that I know are good quality. I need to talk to people I trust to help me feel like to break through, right? Mm-hmm. Um, totally. And it, it also, it makes me think about risk-taking because like, You know, this project is a good example of something that people have said to me. I can't believe you guys did this. How do you feel comfortable taking the risk? But within it, in every episode, in every moment, in every joke, like there's a ton of risks that are taken. And I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about how do you get comfortable taking risk? Like when you do something that feels like it's out there, there's a script written, there's audio recorded, there's a timeline put into it. Then you start putting on visuals and there's like layers and layers on top of the risk. And I, it may not seem risky to you because like you're doing it and you how it works. But I think a lot of these would be paralyzing to folks in the first place when they shouldn't be. I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about like, how can people get comfortable taking, taking a creative risk?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for me, it's come through years of working and, you know, Seeing those risks pay off, and so at a certain point, I can trust my gut a bit and just hope it pays off. I think there's a lot of times where <laughs> in the creative process, I'm like, am I good at this am i am I like wasting everybody's time? Uh, I think a little bit of imposter syndrome, you know, and then it helps a lot to then remind yourself of your accomplishments and and the things that you have taken risks on that pay off and I also think it helps to, again, consult people on your team, see if it's working for them. I I think letting go of your ego of it too. It's like not every risk you take is going to pay off. And it's not a personal slight of the audience to you <laughs> if somebody doesn't laugh at a joke. And, and I also think it's fun because uh, some risks that you take that you didn't think were going to be as successful tend to be super successful too. So at the end of the day, I think it's trust in your gut, but uh, also again, I think I, I very much rely on our whole team um, as a sort of weather vein in the storm, you know? Um this whole process was absolutely terrifying for me Uh,
1: as as a production person. You know,
3: I, I came up in, in animation, um, in college, but mostly it was like in film school. So it was like just animation classes here and there. So like, I'm not really an animator. And so going into projects, um, as a younger person in production, I had no idea how these things work and I could see like producers being stressed out and like, is this going to work? And um, I've seen over the years that that comes from like what Tim is saying is kind of letting go of that ego and collaborating and trusting the people that you work with. And I think that was um, my biggest fear on on this project is, um, you know, Tim and I developed this pipeline based on um, a completely different show and, and process. And we just kind of like went back and forth. was like, is this going to work? And Tim would be like, yeah. And then he'd be like, okay, like schedule wise, like, does that work for like your end of things? And I would just with some confidence go, Yeah, I think so. We can do that. And (laughs) laying out that groundwork, I mean, we were mostly leaning on the creative. And, you know, a lot of my fears came from the back end process. I've always thought that the show is gonna be great. I was just not sure like if we were gonna make it fast enough or like, you know, pull it off and You know, we developed a hybrid animation process where we have traditional animation mixed with like puppeted animation. And you cannot tell the difference from scene to scene and seeing that come together like that was a huge relief. And I think those moments in your career is what gives you the confidence to kind of go into those scary situations.
0: I love hearing about that. And I know as you're talking, it was making me think about do your teams like the team for Gear Squad. Is that the same team exactly that you've used with other projects? Are you plugging different people in and out?
3: Yeah. Um, So Tim and I, we kind of come from different, I guess, like industry groups, kind of where you come up and people you work with. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah. And um, crew. Your crew. Yeah, exactly. And so (laughs) I think this project, we were able to combine, I think, some of the best people from each side of where we come from and that's been good. And, you know, now we're kind of building our own little lobster pot community of people.
2: Yeah. It's not always the same team, but, uh, Brian and I met on a show, um, that we did for Quibi, uh, may it rest in peace, uh, RIP and, (laughs) and, uh, very short lived, but yes. Yes, indeed. Um, But so we were doing 90 minutes of animation a week and had a huge team of 26 animators uh, that I hired for that show. So we had a huge Rolodex of talented people we've worked with. And then also uh, through our various previous careers, uh, Brian worked for years at uh, Shadow Machine, which is they do Bojack Horseman and Tuca and Bertie and a lot of stop mo stuff too um so he comes from the more traditional side of it and i was originally an editor and then editor animator vfx artist and kind of came up that route um working with a lot of artists both in tv and then digital and so we did a lot of like uh kind of indie filmmaking inspired (laughs) stuff in digital uh because the pace is very fast and and Smaller teams, tighter turnarounds. So like Brian was saying, kind of combining those two worlds of more traditional animators and then people who are from more the digital side in this quicker style of animation. Uh, we've assembled sort of our dream team. So you two met working on Quibi. Mm-hmm, have mm-hmm. you met in person
0: or have you only been on Zoom? <laughs> we our show started in
3: person. We, we started in March.
0: March 2020. Yeah.
3: Yes. So, <laughs> yes, we built an entire office with like 30 computers, desks, everything. <laughs> Actually, pulled off hiring 26 animators, which, like, there's a plethora of artists, but to find the ones that specifically knew how to use the character animator software because it's relatively yeah, new, it was probably tough. It was yeah. a bit of a challenge, but, you know, pulled it off. And, uh, I think it was everybody's first day, like where we actually had like the entire crew of like 50 people in the office. And then they were like, all right, well, we're going to pack up your computers and send
0: you home. (laughs) 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 Well, that's nice. You got to meet each other. And then when did you start lobster pot?
2: Uh, So I actually originally started lobster pot as a loan out company. Um, which is what we do in the entertainment industry, since everything's freelance. Um, I started in, mm-hmm. I believe it was August of 2020. We got renewed by Quibi for season two. And so <laughs> going into that season, I changed my payroll over to be paid through the company. And so that was the okay. initial impetus. And then Quibi imploded about two weeks <laughs> into our new season. Um, and then from there, I did a couple projects Hiring contractors and working on some animated stuff, and and that kind of became my goal was to build it into a, an actual animation studio. Gear Squad was definitely the biggest project we had taken on at the time, and that felt great because I was able to bring Brian on, and Brian was able to help me scale up and design the show, and it was great because we had done this once together before, uh, the company who mm-hmm. produced our Quibi show, they had an animation department that was way too small. So we had basically built a massive animation department from scratch before. So scaling up seemed like a non-stressful endeavor as much as it can be non-stressful for us. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of things you just said in terms of advice for
0: scaling that I think could like apply to any business, any industry, but worth just calling it out for anyone listening. Like, Basically, the idea being like, all right, we're tackling this huge project. How am I going to do it? Oh, Brian and I have worked together before. I know we can build this big team rapidly. We know who to hire. We know how to do it. And I think a lot of times people miss the step of like, where's the person who's done it before? Who knows how to, who knows how to help me scale? <laughs> so I just say, as, you, as you're telling telling that story, I am I was like imagining the version where it didn't work because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> I've seen that sometimes. But Brian, you're going to say something else.
3: But yeah, I will. I was going to say the, um, you know, the uh, I guess unfortunate situation of the pandemic kind of put us into a, a panic mode of of reconfiguring, you know, the pipeline to be able to work remotely. And after you know, essentially, almost a year had gone by, and you know, we had time to kind of reflect on that process. When Tim came to me um, saying that there might be a project on the horizon, and you know, it would need to happen um kind of quickly we just took everything we learned from that moment in time that we were panicking and we're just like okay now let's like do the calm version of this
2: yeah and (laughs) and try not to make any of the missteps we made the first time so
0: (laughs) yeah i but it's i mean i feel like that's the thing that so many of us went through was like we did things so rapidly to change and shift and then it's like well what did we learn from that that we can take day to day? What do we learn from that that can change going forward? Like our perception on like what it means to work together. And this entire project was remote, right? But I'm sure that there's probably benefits from that, that you've gotten that have changed the process, I assume. Is that correct?
3: Yeah. So about 90% of the show was done remote. Um, and then towards the back end of things when we were in our heavy post process, um, We ended up getting a small group of people together, mostly for the fact that we just needed to transfer data quickly and to also have that creative feedback immediately instead of waiting for somebody to slack you back or waiting for a scheduled review. So, you know, there's tons and tons of benefits of working remotely. um, But then once you do get back into an office, especially if it's a small, comfortable group, that the the benefits were huge.
2: Yeah. I think a big part of it too, is uh, I'm a firm believer in work-life balance and I think it helps us and our artists get to spend time with their, their pets, their significant others, their family, their friends. Uh, And I think the ripple effect of that is huge in morale. Um, And obviously there's a great effect of morale being in an office together and in a unspoken, um, form of communication. Like I feel like in an office space, a lot of communication happens unintentionally and via osmosis really. So going into a remote setting, I think there's a lot of advantages for people's home lives to be relaxed, but then you have to just be a lot more intentional with your communication lines, which was a big thing we learned in our first go around in remote uh, was just continually to learn how to open communication and get back some of that stuff you lose. Uh, but I think also another advantage is just, you know, we, we all are in our most creative space. Like I feel in a creative industry, a lot of times you get pulled into an office and <laughs> there's uh bright overhead lights and, uh, animators and creatives are very distinct people that need the warmth around them and their influences. So I think that's a huge (laughs) advantage to working at home.
1: I thought you were (laughs) specifically talking about warm light versus harsh light.
2: Oh, I definitely am too. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think if you ever watch into an animation studio, like the People turn off all the overheads and have like 30 lamps and it's like the darkest, <laughs> dimmest lit cave you've been in. Uh- <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. When I first started working at uh, shadow machine, they um, had just finished uh, a stop motion movie, Helen Beck, and the entire studio was blacked out. There was not a, a window. There was no light coming in. Everything was covered in duvetyne. And it, it like slowly started to become more of like an office as they shifted from stop motion to 2D. But like those days were, you know, hot summer, bright days in California. And then you walk in the office at 9 a.m. and it's immediately pitch black. It's like, whoa.
1: so disorienting. Okay.
3: Yeah, but it's like you go upstairs and everybody is working like super efficiently because they they enjoy sitting in the dark. You know, they have a blanket around them and AC is
0: blasting. You guys are bringing me back. I, <laughs> I did a lot of editing in college and like I had actually forgotten that the edit room was like that. It was like very frigid with AC, completely blacked out. I, and I every time you came out, you're like, open your eyes to the sun. <laughs> you're like, oh, God, yeah. what is this? <laughs> So I want to get your advice on a few things before we wrap up here. Um, but what advice, you know, animation has been in a boom. And like, what's coming next?
2: I definitely think we're seeing a lot of innovation. And, and I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword because there's a lot of software that is very robust and making huge improvements on animation, which is great. But I also think uh, there will always be a place for traditional pen and paper animation, or even the digital version of that content wise, I think it's a lot more accessible to young artists, which has led to a lot of talented people entering the industry. And I think that's why we were able to keep up with this boom in animation. I also think the content has changed a lot where there's so much adult animation now, which I feel like didn't really exist beyond like, couple HBO shows, uh, 15 years ago, you know, or or 20 years ago in liquid TV. Yeah. So I I think that's a very cool thing is that we're seeing a lot more nuanced and, and complicated stories told in animation, even in ridiculous worlds, like Bojack Horseman is a great example of a very deep and heartfelt cartoon. And it deals with depression and all sorts of mental health issues and stuff and so i'm very excited about that is the the places where we're able to tell stories in animation now
3: yeah i think there's kind of two things going on you know it's not just cartoons anymore you know the animation industry is is starting to be taken a lot more seriously and um Yeah. It's interesting. Like I have some family that is like old school Hollywood that like they wouldn't even consider animation a part of like the film industry. And I think that we really are experiencing that shift now into this is one of the options we really have to look at when coming up with a a show or a movie idea is, you know, will it benefit to be an animation and how will we tell that story? Will it elevate it to the next level? And then the other side of it, like Tim was kind of talking about is the technology. You know, we're seeing like virtual reality animation, which I think is super cool. Like I think Titmouse came out with like essentially a 2D VR world, which just kind of looks insane. And, you know, with all this talk of like metaverse, I think animation is going to have a huge role in that because it's essentially what it is. It's, you know, animation on a different level. And being able to do storytelling within those worlds, the the future technology world, is I think gonna be huge. Um, one thing we're also seeing is like, almost like the shift into taking video game stories and like seeing those kind of spin off into their own animated series, like the League of Legends thing that just came out is doing really well. And I think all of these companies like Fortnite and uh, Epic, I think, they're seeing these opportunities to tell stories within their world, and they can only accomplish that with animation. So, I think we're going to see a big boom in not just like content on Netflix and television and, and movies and stuff, but also within the other aspects of our life, like video games and surfing the internet. You know, TikTok is a huge thing right now, and I think short form animation is probably my favorite kind and like sketch, especially comedy stuff, like old school robot chicken or the show I worked on called trip tank for comedy central, um, that kind of stuff. It just, it gives you the whole scale that, you know, essentially live action does today. And it'll be interesting. You know, I I don't know (laughs) the the technology part of it is like really cool and scary. Um, I think the most important thing like Tim was saying is, the storytelling is really elevated.
0: It's interesting to hear you guys talk about this because, you know, I, I was thinking about this shift, which is like a generational shift of growing up with cartoons and then having those evolve. And, you know, I was thinking about Pixar and how for a long time, it felt like Pixar was like in the league of their own in terms of the quality of content they're making compared to the rest of the animation houses. And now it's, there's great animation at every turn. Like it's not just that there's tons of other stuff. And then also this idea of like animation is not for kids anymore, right? Yeah, and that like there's going to be times when a story is just better told when it's animated, of course. Um, and then the, what are the implications of that? Because in in like my world in B two B, there's been animation actually, but it's been specifically this one type of video, like an explainer video. Have you seen those? Where yeah. it's like oh
2: yeah, <laughs> the two <laughs> Mo- the Mo- two glass?
0: three minute thing, and it's an overview of the concepts of your business, and that's it that's usually it's like one person, someone has that and then they have nothing else, but it does seem like these shifts, these generational shifts, these expectations of shifts, I would think we're going to see a lot more animation across the business. And, you know, just as expectations change, that's what always happens, right? Like there's more people who can make the stuff, the production quality changes, the tech changes, and suddenly it gets adopted, which is interesting to think about because we have so much freedom and flexibility for how do you get creatively get a message across totally yeah totally agree well look tim brian um thank you both so much for being here today it was awesome to hear the story of lobster pot and to like dig in more on the process of how we made gear squad and hear a little bit about how you think about the animation world and and bring us all there so thank you for being on the show how can people find you?
2: Uh, well, we have a website, lobsterpotproductions.com. Uh, you can go check out our other projects up there, some of the work we've done. And uh, you can also learn a bit more about Brian, myself, uh, my wife, who is also co-owner and uh, executive producer of the company. And then you can check out some of the people we've worked with. We've got a lot of our frequent collaborators on there too which i love awesome well look thank you both so much
3: yeah thanks for having us great Yeah, thank We're you so excited about gear squad versus dr boring and uh hopefully someday we'll see them reassemble
0: <laughs> oh yes that would be that would be a delight and maybe we'll even end up with a gear squad pinball machine oh my gosh wow. Well, just saying. Ooh, just saying. I would lose my mind. All right. <laughs> On that note, bye everyone. Bye. bye. I know we just ended the interview with us, but I had not been thinking about the fact that there is generational change around animation. And the fact that animation is for adults as well now, too. And there's that expectation. And it's funny. I don't even know. I I feel like, is that just true with me? Is that true with Wistia that we were able to make this animated series? Partially because everything around us has shifted. And like, it didn't, you asked me at the top, like, did this seem crazy to or to do it? Um, I'm like, no, of course it didn't. But then after the interview, it's like, is this not just us? Is this <laughs> is this a bigger trend that's happening? Like it's funny, but it seems like it is.
1: This is definitely a bigger trend. I mean, yeah. This is a bigger trend. I didn't realize that Brian had worked on BoJack, one of my absolute favorite shows. Dark, heavy, beautiful. But yeah, I mean, I think what they were talking about towards the end is just like storytelling can come to life in a very different way in animation. But it doesn't mean that, like, the themes that you explore have to be only something that would appeal to kids. And it's fun to think about how businesses can, you know, incorporate animation into their identities, like you guys just did, whether it's a series or, like, just kind of punching things up on their website. Like, I couldn't stop watching Gear Squad. It was amazing. And I think if more businesses could kind of approach their content in that fun way, like we could see amazing stuff. Does that sound silly? I feel like I sound silly. No, no, no.
0: I think it's like we've been on this trend of as it gets easier to make the content. What's happening is like content is eating many of the other parts of the funnel, right? So it used to be, you know, maybe just your front page video and an ad you'd be making videos for. And now it's like you can make content that builds your brand and creates more brand affinity. You can make content that is um, really designed to change how people engage or like think about what you do. And it makes perfect sense that, of course, animation will become a common tool set for folks in this Journey, but I think it had not been as obvious to me because I've been so focused on people on camera, building that human connection. And it's just something about that clicked of like, of course, this is like expectations have changed. BoJack, you know, being one of your favorite shows, not your favorite animated show, right? right? Like, you don't need that preface. And I think it's partially like animation getting so good. There's so much of it. And it's just about the story, right? It's like, how can you tell a great story? that resonates with people and does the job you want it to do and if you can do that you can you can do it almost like animated live action stick figure puppets whatever you need <laughs> yeah
1: whatever you need i'm a little sad that adam silent adam wasn't at the top of the call because that man is a pinball wizard he loves himself some pinball so i hope that you oh, guys that. do make a gear squad versus doctor boring pinball machine. I'm here for that. Sounds like Brian and Tim are here for that. Listeners, are you going to be here for that?
0: That's a great question. If Gear Squad gets a second season, maybe a pinball machine. That'd be pretty cool. Pretty cool. Speaking of second seasons, well, actually, just speaking of growing audiences, (laughs) if you love talking too loud, please share it with your friends. Share it with someone you think could get something out of it. We'd love your help. Um, And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to it. And if you have feedback, you want to send us voice memos, you have an idea for a guest, you have an idea for a topic, email us at ttlpod at wistia.com. We would love to hear from you. That's it. Thanks for listening today. And I hope you have a great day wherever you are.
1: Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Jarrett Floyd. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.